Turn back to Genesis. We're not going to deal with uh, that lengthy of a text tonight. We're in Genesis 41 and uh, talking tonight about rising above temptation. Rising above temptation as we continue to study about the life of Joseph. We'll be talking about the life of Joseph, of course, through the remainder of Genesis. Uh, the study on Joseph, as far as character study, is the longest single narrative in the entire book of Genesis. Obviously, Abraham was a sizable narrative, as was Jacob, but Joseph is the longest narrative in the book of Genesis. Okay? Pick up reading with me uh, this evening in verse 39 of chapter 41. You got it? Chapter 41, verse 39. I'll give you a second more. Chapter 41, verse 39. Rising above temptation. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the first Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. There was famine 
in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when, when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now folks, when you think about temptation, I want you to think first of all tonight about the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, what did Satan tempt Jesus with? Do you recall? Okay. Power, control. What's Satan promising? I'll give you everything. And I'll give you everything the easy way. If only you will bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything. The easy way. Because again, it belonged to the Lord anyway. But he was promising the easy way. Okay? I also want you to think about Daniel in the book of Daniel. What happened to Daniel in chapter 1? Okay. Okay. And what was Daniel and his buddies promised? When the, when the king saw that they were smarter, wiser, stronger, everything than everybody else, what is it that Nebuchadnezzar was going to give to them? High places in his kingdom. Power. What we're going to see tonight is that living in the midst of plenty may be the more difficult challenge for God's people than being destitute, right? What happens when we're destitute? We rely on God. It's easy to look up when we're flat on our back, right? It's easy to look up and call upon God. But what about when we have everything or we're being promised everything and everything's going well? What's the temptation? To just click right along without God, right? And so being promised everything or having everything may be the bigger temptation in some ways, right? You think that could be a problem with Americans today and specifically with the church in America? Because we are not hungry or thirsty physically, we're not hungry and thirsty spiritually. And Jesus said in the Beatitudes 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But what do people do who aren't hungry and thirsty physically? Again, they grow complacent spiritually and they click right along. They don't see their own need. It reminds me of the book of Judges in the Old Testament. In the book of Judges, when the people were being oppressed and they were suffering, they would cry out to God. And God would send to them a, a deliverer and the deliverer would rescue them. And then the book of Judges records seven different times that they would go back to having everything they wanted again and they were comfortable and complacent. And when they got that way, what happened? They forgot God. It seemed it was more difficult for them when they had everything. Well, let's see how this plays out in our text tonight with Joseph. If you're taking notes, first of all, I want you to write down Joseph's elevation to high position. Joseph's elevation to high position. Beginning in verse 39 and going down through verse 45. I won't read it again since we read it a moment ago. But look with me just quickly at verse 40. Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 40, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And so Joseph is given great power. He's in power uh, when it comes to all of the wealth of Egypt. All of the wealth of Egypt will be at his fingertips and he will be in power over all of the people. I want you to think of what has happened to Joseph in the span of one day. One day, he's gone from a dungeon to being cleaned up going before Pharaoh, interpreting the dreams for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, well, you're the guy to bring us through this. And so he promotes him. He elevates him. When you talk about whiplash, when he got up that morning, he probably never dreamed what was going to happen to him that day. Because after all, remember, he's waited two years because somebody forgot all about him, remember? The baker. The baker forgot all about him. And so probably after two years, he's thought, well, I'm just stuck here in this dungeon. So you reckon he was surprised at what happened in one day? I think he was. Well, look at what Pharaoh gives him. He gives him his own signet ring. Now, the Egyptian signet rings of the pharaohs would have hieroglyphics on them and, and uh, it would have Egyptian pagan images and it would have some type of notation signifying it was the signet ring of the pharaoh. And you see, they would, they would take these rings that had had graphics on them and they would be able to dip them in hot wax and then they could uh, press the hot wax into a document so everybody would be able to see this ring that Joseph is wearing is indeed Pharaoh's ring. Pharaoh has 
in essence, bestowed his own power and authority upon Joseph. He's given him the signet ring. He's also given him fine linens and a gold necklace showing wealth, power, prestige. And then gives him the second chariot. A chariot was the limo of the day. Okay? Pharaoh also empowers Joseph here uh, that his words are to have ultimate authority over all of the people. And then by riding Joseph around in the chariot, decked out the way Joseph is, all the people can know when they see Joseph coming that they are to bow the knee, they are to bow down to him, they are to pay homage to him, and they are to obey him and do whatever he says. I want you to notice something about Joseph. It says that he was placed over all of the land, meaning what? This is not a regional authority, but it is a national authority. I want you to remember something about dynasties back then. Dynasties back then were not democracies. They were dictatorships. The kings or the pharaohs had absolute authority. And people had no vote. And the second runner-up oftentimes got killed, yes. Egypt was also known for its vast riches. Egypt has gone down in history as one of the richest kingdoms ever in ancient times. And so again, Joseph has supreme authority and he has great wealth. Now folks, it's important to see all of this power, all of this prestige, all of this wealth being laid at Joseph's feet because we're going to see how Joseph responded to it. What's the old saying about power and corruption? Does anybody remember the saying? Yes. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But we're going to see that's not the case with Joseph. Joseph is going to handle the power and the wealth righteously. Now this shouldn't surprise us when we think back to how Joseph resisted uh, Potiphar's wife. What have we learned about Joseph? He's a man of integrity. He's a man of honesty. He's a man of character. And he's not this way out of just some type of secular goody-two-shoes mentality just trying to be a good person. Because remember what he said to Potiphar's wife? What did he say to her? This would be a sin against God. This would not be right in God's sight. And so what Joseph does, he does out of a reverential fear of Almighty God. In other words, 
Joseph is not just a good man. Joseph is a righteous man. But we're not done with looking at Joseph's power here. Pharaoh uh, gives him an Egyptian name. He changes his name, gives him an Egyptian name. What's he trying to do? Make him Egyptian. Again, who's that remind you of? Daniel. Pharaoh is trying to make an Egyptian out of this Hebrew young man. Joseph's 30 years old, and Pharaoh's trying to make an Egyptian out of him. And then Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife, a wife who is none other than the daughter of one of the leading priests of the land of Egypt. As the daughter of the priest of On, her family would have worshipped the Egyptian sun god. And they would have been one of the most prestigious families in all of the land of Egypt. And so in every way possible, we are seeing how Joseph's head could have been poisoned by this wealth and power. Even his wife, initially at least, could have been a bad influence on him, right? Well, secondly, I want you to see Joseph's service and diligence. Joseph's service and diligence. Pick up reading with me at verse 46 again. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. So immediately we see what Joseph does. He gets to work. He goes out over all the land of Egypt. He was diligent. Now obviously Joseph had gifts of administration and leadership. When we read our New Testament, we see in the book of Romans chapter 12 that the gifts of administration and leadership are gifts that God himself bestows. Folks, God doesn't just call preachers. Could you imagine a world where we were all preachers? God gives people in different ways. Do you realize in the Old Testament when they were building the tabernacle and then the temple? Remember what's said about the craftsmen there? God even blessed certain of the people with gifts of craftsmanship so that they could make things and build things. God gives different gifts. And the Bible makes it clear in passages like Romans 12 that whatever our gift is, we are to be diligent with it. We're to be responsible. We are to be good stewards. 
Don't be lazy with your spiritual gift. Don't be ignorant of it. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't be unaware. Don't literally don't be ignorant as to what your spiritual gift is. You and I are commanded to find out what it is, to learn what our spiritual gift is, and then knowing what our spiritual gift is, we're to be diligent with it. And that's how Joseph was. Joseph was not only a righteous man and a gifted man, but Joseph was a diligent man. He served the Lord with gladness. Amen? Now, we read in verses 50 to 52 that God blessed Joseph with two sons. Now, what's significant about these two sons? Anybody want to venture a guess? Sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. But what about the names? What's so significant? They're Hebrew names. So here's Joseph. Pharaoh's given him an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife. But when God blesses him with two sons, what's he turn around and do? He gives them Hebrew names. You see what's being said of Joseph? Joseph hasn't forgotten his heritage, his family, or his faith. He's not forgotten any of that. Manasseh means God has made me forget and Ephraim means God has made me fruitful. Now thirdly, I want you to see tonight that Joseph becomes a blessing. Joseph becomes a blessing. Verse 53 says, The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Do you remember what God had said to Abraham? Somebody turn back to Genesis chapter 12 and read out loud for us verses 1 to 3. Who would do that? Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. 
Okay. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. I will make you a blessing and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Folks, what's God doing here? God is bringing that promise to pass. Now, yes, it's true that that promise that God made to Abraham will not ultimately come to pass until who? Jesus, the Messiah. That's when that promise that God gave to Abraham will ultimately come true. But it's already being fulfilled in part right here. God is a God who keeps His promises. And think about all the families of the earth being blessed through a descendant of Abraham. What did Paul say about the gospel in Romans 1.16? That it is the power of God unto salvation to who first? To the Jew first. And then to the Gentile. Remember Jesus on one occasion commenting to a woman that he, she wanted Jesus to do something for her and her family. And, and Jesus commented to her that he had come for the Jews. And she said, but Lord, even the dogs get to eat of the crumbs that fall from the table. And what did Jesus do? Jesus then commended her for her faith and He ended up doing what she asked. Paul went first to his own people and then finally in Acts 13 when they turned against him, he said, because you no longer consider yourselves worthy of receiving God's promises, I am now going to turn to the Gentiles. But my point is, he went first to the Jews. And then in Romans 9 and 10, he talks about his heart breaking for the Jews. His kinsmen according to the flesh. And then in Romans 10 and 11, Paul talks about how through the Jews' rejection of the gospel, the gospel went to the Gentiles, and then at the end of the times of the Gentiles, a complete number of Israel will be saved. And so I think we will yet see a time at some point that a more significant portion of the Jews will come to Christ. We're not told how exactly it's going to happen, only that it is going to happen. But back to the overall point I'm making. Joseph becomes a blessing not just to the Egyptians, 
But verse 57 tells us all of the earth came to Joseph, came to Egypt and to Joseph to buy grain. Again, very significant. And it's a, a picture how later on, as I've just said, blessing will go to the world through a descendant of Abraham. Folks, what is God doing here? Don't miss what God is doing. God is getting things so that all of Joseph's brothers and his dad will come to Egypt. God told Abraham that his descendants would be slaves for 400 years in a foreign land and then he would deliver them. God said that years and years earlier to Abraham. When he said to Abraham, look, as far as your eyes can see in all directions, I am going to give this land to your descendants. However, know this, that your descendants are going to be slaves. They're going to be in bondage in a foreign land for 400 years because the sin of the Amorite is not yet complete. And then after 400 years, I am going to deliver them and I am going to bring them back to this land that you see. And so God is setting up this entire series of events that we're going to later on see recorded in the book of Exodus. What an amazing providential God we serve. Just think, He brings... He brings all of this with Joseph to pass and all of this with the famine so that Joseph's brothers and his dad will come to Egypt where they will grow as a people and be put in bondage and then God will deliver them. Folks, it is amazing to wrap your mind around this. That God is getting Joseph and all of Joseph's people in Egypt so that it will happen to them exactly as God said to Abraham. What an amazing providential God we serve. That God is using one man and He's using Pharaoh and He's using a famine and He's using dreams to accomplish all of this. Never underestimate the sovereignty of God in what God is able to do. Again, it's amazing when you let sink in when you let it fully sink into your mind what God is doing here, it is staggering to think of. God is orchestrating all of the pieces of this puzzle. Don't you ever doubt 
that God is a sovereign God. And He is able to bring to pass that which He has promised. Amen? If God has said it, God will do it. And He will do it just as He says. Amen? Any thoughts in closing that you might have? Richard? I think the distance would have been one barrier and that Pharaoh had him so busy. Um, but I do think there was this underlying confidence of how he knew things were going to turn out. That he didn't try to immediately go and seek out his dad. He knew what was eventually going to happen. Again, because of the dreams that God had allowed him to interpret. So he knew the world, which would have included his brothers, would have been coming to him. He didn't need to go to them. They would have been, they would be coming to him. Yeah, good question. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, go, go back earlier though. What was Joseph initially in relation to his brothers? In other words, what did they do to him? He was despised by his brothers and delivered up for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was despised by his brethren and sold for 30 pieces of silver. Right? And then, right. And then the salvation that came to the world through Joseph, physical salvation, but the spiritual salvation that would go out from Christ to all nationalities. So yes, Joseph is very much a type of Christ. Okay, take out your prayer guides. It's easy to see though why the study of Joseph is, is the favorite of a lot of people. When you think about characters in the Bible, Joseph is certainly a, a uh, favorite character.